Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. Enjoy listening and watching as addiction experts Mark Sheeran and I cover controversial as well as helpful topics on addiction, how to move past it, and other related subjects. As two of the co-founders of the Freedom Model, Mark and I will give you a completely new perspective on the topics that matter to you. We will take to task the Recovery Society's lies and misinformation and replace them with facts, research, and the methods to move on from addiction struggles without 12-step meetings, rehabs, and the shackles of endless recovery. Let's escape the treatment and recovery trap together and learn to be free. Welcome to the truth. If you feel you need time away from your life to learn how to solve your substance use problem for good without distractions, 12-step meetings, or other counterproductive processes, then the St. Jude Retreat with its Freedom Model program are for you. From the moment you arrive, you'll know that this place is special, effective, and different. We won't bring you to AA meetings. We won't take away your cell phone or tablet. And yes, you can have contact with your family and friends at any time. We don't treat our guests like children or criminals like rehabs do. You'll be surrounded by open fields with mountain views. The retreat is set up to help you to relax, reset, and learn how you can solve your addiction and move on with your life. You'll be learning the world-renowned Freedom Model program directly with co-developers Mark Sheeran and Michelle Dunbar in private one-on-one sessions. You'll also have your own room with no roommates. There's no need to be uncomfortable while getting through such a vulnerable time. In addition to having your private bedroom and meals prepared by our executive chef, there's high-speed internet access so you can keep in touch with work obligations if needed. When not in class, you can enjoy one of the many amenities available, including on-site swimming pool, dry sauna, and a pond for fishing. There's also walking trails, or you can take a trip to the gym. We welcome guests from all over the world who are seeking to escape the addiction and recovery trap once and for all. Call 888-424-2626 to reserve your room today. Hi, everybody. (laughs) Welcome to the Addiction Solution Podcast. I'm Michelle Dunbar. And I'm Mark Sheeran, and we're the co-authors and co-developers of the Freedom Model for Addictions, along with Stephen Slate. Um. So what are we going to talk about today? We're going to talk about something that would probably shock everybody, all of our listeners. We're going to talk about uh, the 5%, the estimated, those are AA's numbers, right? 5% of people who stick around AA more than a year, who are seemingly what they propose to be successful because they're still going to meetings. Now, one thing you should know is that's all that 5% means is that they're still going to meetings. Um, clearly there's a percentage of people that keep going to meetings that are still struggling, or there is also the quiet AA members who are secretly on the sly, successfully moderating. I've known those people. Oh, I would too. have never believed they existed. It shocked me because during my 20 periods of 20 years of abstinence, And I started learning, oh, yeah, so-and-so has been drinking pretty much right along. And I'm like, seriously? (laughs) And so what they do is they go to meetings and they tell that AA saved their lives, which, you know, in their minds is true because they're not drinking like they used to. But they're lying because they're successfully moderating. So, And we know by the numbers that about half the people who once qualified as being alcohol dependent – successfully reduce their steps, their drinking to moderate levels. Right. So, so 
What about those 5%? What about the people that stick around AA that, that seem to really like it and that do actually successfully abstain? That's what we're going to talk about. Yeah. So um, let's look at some of the other numbers just to, to frame out what we're talking about. Worldwide, AA for the last 20 years has had about 2 million members, active members. And But that's a little bit misleading because the dropout rate is so unbelievably high for the first year of attendance. In other words, more than 9 out of 10 people don't go back to AA after one year. And uh, the majority of those drop out within the first 30 days. So how is it possible that AA continues to have a flat but, but never increasing uh, 2 million members. It hovers between 1.8 and 2 million members for the last couple of decades. And the answer to that is they have created such a incredibly um, successful uh, group of people throughout the world that matriculate in and out of AA. So there's a constant flow from probation departments worldwide. This happens um, and from government agencies and from the rehabilitation industry. So they, they have sort of an arrangement where AA provides the doctrine, That's right. the, the big books, you know, the information, the 12-step model. And uh, what AA gets out of that is a constant flow of bodies. And so as all these people come in, most of them drop out, but you have to have a, a backfill. So AA is one of the most successful cults the world has ever seen. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's, a, it's a pyramid scheme, which I go through in uh, my five-part seminar series. And you can get that in the Freedom Model International membership. If you join that membership, you can get access to those seminars. I did five of them. That it explains all this, tells where the money goes and all of that. Now, so that's that. So the, the question is, then out of that aggregate of people, all those people flowing in and out and in and out and in and out, there's this tiny percentage, this five out of a hundred that stick around, like Michelle mentioned. And so we were one, we were two of those people yep. at one point in time, for sure. Yep. We were there a long time. Yeah, decades. And um, as children and then as members, active members for a long time. For me, it was 12 years. It was probably something like that for you yeah, as well. Yeah, about 10 years as an active member. So I think that it's important for people to understand what is success in AA, right? What does is, what is that 5% consist of? So, and, and how do they get well? And do we give credit to AA? Should we be giving credit to AA for that success? And it was funny. The reason this came up is because we had a, a discussion on the Freedom Model group, the private group in Facebook, um, that talked about this. And some of the members really understand what, what's going on. And it was very encouraging to see that. Not only was it encouraging to see that, but it was also encouraging to see that none of our members were rude um, or uh, or they didn't really, they didn't attack this person who said the 12 steps are the answer. Um, and I, that to me was really telling of the quality of people that we have in the freedom model group. So thank you yeah, members. It was, awesome. it was, it was really, really great because, because this person believes in their heart of heart that the 12 steps saved their life. And I understand that belief system. It's just a misunderstanding of how all people change. That's right. right. Um, because if you when you look at the data and numbers don't lie, um, 
you know, the vast majority of people get over the problem at some point in their lives is a function of age. I mean, it's, it's well over 90%. And, and some people do that going, you know, they, they decide that they're done or maybe they get a DWI and they're not really sure if they're done, but they're, they think they're done with that lifestyle, but they go to AA and it, and that, spontaneous recovery happens at the same time, which I believe is what happened for me. Me too. Um, you know, when, when I stopped, I stopped drinking five days before I went to my first meeting and I really had consciously made a decision at that point that I never wanted to go through alcohol withdrawal again, that I would do everything within my power not to. And, um, and I, believed that I needed to go to AA so that I wouldn't. And so that belief coupled with going to AA, meeting some people that I really connected with, um, you know, I, I, I was done. Well, let's talk about, let, let me jump in and talk about what you just said. And that is that before you went to AA, before, so you quit drinking, there's five days there, there's this window, and then you went to AA I know your story. So yours is a lot like mine. We grew up around in AA families. Yes. So our, our families were immersed in the cult. So we assumed that there had to be some formal uh, ritual of going to AA to signify that we were serious about quitting drinking. Yes. Because we were told basically our whole childhoods that that was that, that that was required. That it was inevitable. Yes. Right? Yep. That it was required and inevitable, that there was no other way, that when it was time to quit drinking, that's what you did. Yep. And so it was mindless. What I mean by that is I didn't, I didn't question that. No, me neither. I, you know, I, for the entire six years that I was drinking heavily, I was thinking, fuck, someday I got to go to this AA thing. You know, literally, <laughs> me too, me literally. Too. Like every time I, this is, this may be hyperbole, but it felt like every single time I was having a good time, that would like the idea that I was an alcoholic would enter my mind and kind of dampen it a little bit. Oh yeah. Yeah. You know, and I'd Absolutely. be like, you know, I'm going to have to do the same thing at some point. Yeah. And maybe our experience is different than a lot of you out there who maybe didn't grow up around treatment. Um, and so it's a little more passive for you. Mm -hmm. You know, maybe it's a little more, I heard about this AA thing. They say it's really successful. Oh God, maybe I need to go there. And then you go and then you slowly get indoctrinated. Um, and you're told in the AA meeting that it's the only way it's the, it's the most successful program for addiction in the world. Now I'll give it props. It is the most successful financial model for addiction that's ever been <laughs> it created. <sure> is. <laughs> it's, it's, it's really, it's created a, uh, multi-billion dollar industry that has lasted for 80 years yeah. and all based on bullshit, all based on lies, complete fabrications that have no bearing in reality whatsoever. The entire model is based on nothing but mythology. And you should know that all of the research points to people do better not going to AA than they do going to AA. People do better not believing that they're powerless or an alcoholic or an addict than they do believing that they're not. So, so that's what the data shows, you know, just so we all know it's been shown that a doesn't work. So, so here's this five out of a hundred people that stick around. 
they're watching people go in and out of the rooms, as they say, you know, they've watched, but slowly over a period of maybe 10 or 20 years, you have this group of people that are the stalwarts, the gurus, the, the old timers is what they're called. I was one of those people in my, my home group. I was too. We were fully integrated in the structure of the cult. And we were sponsoring a lot of people. We were, we were the bottom of the pyramid, pushing, pushing people into the, into the cult and trying to convince others, you know, working with newcomers. We were in, involved in all that. Now, I, I'm going to just qualify yeah. that quickly because we were, but we were also heretics within the cult because, yeah. <laughs> because right from the beginning, we were told that we weren't broken and we didn't, there was no such thing as alcoholism or and, addiction. And that's directly opposed to what the Right. The we were told says. that we were, we could be okay. We had a temporary problem that we could solve. And but, we were told that by her father, Jerry. Yes. Which, which believe me, that was a hard pill for me to swallow because I did not get along with him and he was not a very good father. So, so, you know, but he was very, very smart and he had already been in the cult for 10 plus years at that point. And, and as a researcher with a researcher's mind, he had watched people go in and out and realize there's something fundamentally wrong with this idea that you're powerless. And that's where he became the architect of the freedom model in the early years. So we're in this weird, weird place where we were in AA, but we were trying to change it from we within. We were trying it. to change AA and say, wait a minute, people, no. You shouldn't admit that you're powerless. And so, and we were trying to keep a lot of the other stuff because it seemed helpful. And that's the power of ritual. Yes, absolutely. That's the power of ritual. The meetings, the working with newcomers, the dogma. The camaraderie. The, yeah, all of that plays into this, this sort of, oh, it's AA that got me sober. Now, here there's one way, there's only one way that people get well and get sober. And that's by choosing to do so. Right. Whether it's in AA or not in AA right. or on the moon. Or whether they believe <laughs> that God came and removed it from them, or they believe that the meetings, that the higher power was in the meetings, or they believe whatever it is they believe, everybody still comes to the conclusion that I can be happier abstinent. You know, everybody that stays abstinent, I can be happier abstinent than I can be drinking at this point. So the question becomes, what is the ritual that you use, right? And, and what is the ritual that I use now to, to not drink? I don't have a ritual. My ritual is the absence of one. That's freedom. Yeah. So when you get to a place to where your ritual has nothing to do with. Okay. So we just lost power. So if you see a glitch in the. Uh, in the uh we have to get our bearings again yeah um yeah we have it's a little bit of a stormy day here um which is why it looks a little dark um so i think we were talking about the ritual we don't so, so yeah. basically you become a believer that this meeting or this thing that you're doing is keeping you sober yeah and and that's a, I want you to think about what I just said. So something, some church basement room. People. People in it. The, the, the uh, information you're getting from these people is keeping you sober. Somehow it, externally stopping you from doing something that uh, you used to want to do. So that's, that's one of those misattributions that humans do we give credit? Often. Yeah, we do. We we give credit 
to certain things that don't deserve it. Um, and in this case, we give credit to the meeting room, Alcoholics Anonymous, the big book of AA, your sponsor, your therapist, maybe a rehab for keeping you away from drinking and drugging. But, but what gets missed all the time with this is the fact that you have your own mind. So there really isn't any way for those things to stop you from doing something you want to do. So you must want to be sober. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, the problem was my, like my father, Mark and I, every single person that struggled that I watched come into AA and really give it a shot. And even the people that didn't seem to really give it a shot, there was this idea when we were there that everybody that went back to drinking or went back to doing drugs did so because they were doing something wrong because they weren't working the program good enough because they relied on that external idea. Well, but no, I'm talking about within AA within it. Like you would use those people as examples of what not to do, right? Yeah. That person, yeah. oh, that person got distracted by a relationship and that person thought their job was more important. And that person thought their children were more important. Um, and because they weren't putting sobriety first, they, that's why they weren't getting it. But when you, when you really pay attention and you sponsor as many people as we did, and you see like the vast majority don't even make it a month, let alone a year. And, and then there are those that you work with. And we work with so many that are in and out for years and, and sometimes they don't make it. And like that, I was not okay with that. And, and I kept, we kept searching for why did we get it? Why, why am I? And I would feel guilty that it was easy for me because I'm telling you, it was easy. The first six months weren't easy because I had the wrong information and I really wanted, uh, I was suicidal. It was awful. Um, and the, what it does to your mental health when you're believing you're the one that's this horrible person, I can't even explain, but I kind of lost sight of all of that because once it got easy for me, I fell in like so many good little AAers do yeah. that 5%. You fall into that crowd of, I'm just working it harder than you are. Yeah. it go And it, and it's unquestioned. Yeah. You know, that, that there's, it goes unquestioned, but in the back of your mind, I can remember thinking all the time, you know, why, why is it easy for me? Yeah, why did God love me more? Right. Like, and, and then I, then I too got distracted like you did with, well, I did this piece better. I did this. I served more. I did, you know, I got involved with yep. all of it. And the crazy part is in the end, none of that meant anything. It didn't because there were people, let me just tell you that there were people that we're in a that were far more selfless than I could ever imagine being that didn't make it. There were people that I knew in AA that did every single, I didn't do everything right. I did almost everything wrong in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And, and according to AA, according to AA, I mean, I mean, and I was chastised for getting involved in this relationship and being a terrible power of example for people where well, you were just lucky that it worked for you. You know, and, and so I was like, nah, there's gotta be something more to this. There's gotta be something more to this. You know, how come I'm one of the 5%? I, I look at stats are my thing. 
I like numbers. And the odds aren't with you when you go to AA. They're not. Um, and so why was I one of those people? I just couldn't wrap my head around it. And then when Mark came up with the positive drive principle, it all made sense. Yeah. You know, yeah. well, because I didn't want to drink anymore. <laughs> <laughs> it had nothing to do with that, quite frankly. Yeah. So I, I, my whole research career for for thirty three years now was trying to figure out that question: Why did people do the things they do? Yes. And I've been asking that question since I was four years old. I can remember being this little, little, little kid, tiny, tiny kid, just learning language. I can remember that far back. And, and thinking, why does all this work? How does all this work? You yeah. know, and, and in wonderment. And I've always been sort of a philosopher that way. And, and the AA thing was so exhausting. It was so exhausting because there's all these rules and bullshit that you follow and you do it mindlessly and you assume that these people know what they're talking about. But it never sat well with me. You're I, forced to shut down your curiosity yeah. and your intelligence and your critical thinking. Yeah. And and so I would look around at these people and I assumed that every old timer was the only this group was were the only group of people that were sober. I didn't know that there was a world of hundreds of millions of people who didn't go to AA didn't go to treatment, had nothing to do with any of that, drank worse than me, yep. did more drugs than me, hundreds of millions of them in my lifetime. And they just moved on with their lives. They just, they just one day decided they didn't want to do it anymore. And then they just moved on. Something else became important. They, they got, they fell in love. They had children. They got a career that they were passionate about. Or sometimes they just got sick and tired of, being drunk and high all the time. And they just said, oh, I'm going to do something different now. I'm, I think I'll take up kayaking. Yeah. <laughs> you know? So the, so the research was finding, so my research effort was finding the common ground. What, what did all these hundreds of millions of people plus the gurus in AA have in common people like myself, because I became a, a an old timer. Right. Yeah. Um, and they all had one thing in common and that was their desire personally not coerced or manipulated by others, their their desire personally was it was better to not drink or to moderate than it was to have right. heavy use. That's the only commonality that I could find. Then I started to study that. I started to study, oh, motivation. What motivates people? Well, being happy. There isn't anything else that motivates people. You know, fear might change your trajectory in your life for brief periods of time, but it's not going to motivate you to change. It doesn't. Not for any length of time. So I suddenly started to realize, oh, we're all getting sober and moving on with our lives exactly the same way. And that's personally, internally deciding this is what I want to do. More. Not, yeah, more. And not I have to, I should. We have a whole thing on this in the book, um, in the freedom model. Because those people, the I have to, the I shoulds, always go back to drinking. Yes, because it's not what they want do you see the difference between an I should, I have to, I, I can't. I, That's I have what all to those stop. people had in common that we were trying to help all those years ago in AA was, good point. was, you know, they were, they were coming in, not because it was something they personally desired, you know, Bill Wilson said it, right. The only requirement for membership is a desire to stop drinking. And which is kind of interesting 
if everybody in AA really had the desire to be abstinent, they'd all be abstinent. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Regardless of what they learned in AA. Um, and I think Bill kind of knew that, right? Well, I think so. I think Bill was tortured with this spiritual experience he had. Yes. So he assumed that that was the only way. I can only assume that it, it, when he says he saw God that one time and got and it struck him sober, those aren't that uncommon of experiences. I mean, it happens occasionally to people throughout the world where they have these major shifts spiritually. Um, but but the majority of us don't have that. So what no. Bill did was he took this, this singular experience and defined his whole cult around that. And, and then that becomes a huge distraction to all these people because they're wondering, that's not happening to me. How do I me. get that? Yeah, I, I got to work at it. Bill Wilson says, if I do these 12 things, I'll have a spiritual experience like he did. And man, that is, that is so alluring, but it's a massive distraction from a very simple process to change. And that is, do you want to? Yeah. Do you want to challenge the benefits of drinking? Do you want to challenge the benefits of sticking a needle in your arm? And why do you like it so much? And let's challenge whether you're getting out of that experience, what you think you're getting out of that experience. And that's very direct. That's very direct. And, and then you can say, yeah, I think I want to be sober because I get more benefit out of that. That's a lot more simple than this weird distraction of trying to create a God spiritual experience through these 12 esoteric strange ritual steps. Yes. And look at if AA were innocuous. And what I mean by that is, <coughs> is if it was, if what you learned there was something that wouldn't be detrimental to you and harmful as it is to so many people, we'd leave it alone. Because the truth of the matter is the the 5% that stick around found a home there. They found that they could be happier being part of the cult, being part of this group, then they could be not being part of the group. And one of the requirements for being in the group is to not go there drunk, right? Is to not be actively drinking or drug using. There are a small percentage of people that want both and do both, right? But, but so, so the reason we pick on it, okay, is because it's harmful. When you look at the data, believing that you're powerless makes you nine times more likely to do dangerous binge type usage, drinking or drug use. Okay. You know, you, so your tolerance reduces for a period of time while you're abstinent. And then you're told while you're in the cult, if you go back to it, you will pick up right where you left off. Holy crap. If that isn't a recipe for overdose, I don't know what is. Okay. No, most people that go back to drinking, um, in some way, shape, or form, don't pick up where they left off or go back to drug use. Um, they're told they will, so some do. Uh, so, so it's not, unfortunately, it's not innocuous. It is, so telling somebody, the 12 steps saved my life, maybe your anecdotal perception and belief, it isn't reality. It isn't. Right, it's a ritual. It's a ritual. You already had decided you're happier either being part of the group, you're happier not drinking, you're happier, you know, and for somebody else, it's 
detrimental to them? Because it's a massive distraction from doing a direct preference change within the realm of your internal mind. If you're going to be distracted by an external means of change, and that is, I need to go to this place, perform this ritual every day, every day perform this ritual, and and be shamed and go through the process that they they have and hopefully have this spiritual experience, which seems to elude me, right? Right. And I feel like a failure every time I go. Um, how is that possibly a good direct way of changing? It's not. It's It actually keeps you from going, wait a minute, what do I want? Right, right. What, what do I want directly? No, no, no rituals, no meetings, I- no... Yeah. yeah. How much do I really like this anymore? How much do I like staying home being drunk every night? What am I trying to get from it? So that's what that's what the freedom model is about is shedding or abandoning any distraction or ritual like going to AA meetings or anything like that. And then going internal into the realm of your mind, because you're the one that drinks you're the one that has your own mind. You're the one that makes all the choices. There's only you. There is no way for an external force to save you from yourself. But we but we give AA the credit for doing just that. And it's an illusion. And the problem is with living with illusions is eventually you become delusional and disillusioned. And then you fall apart. Yeah. And you feel like a failure. Well, you didn't fail. You did whatever you wanted to do. You stayed in AA when you felt the ritual was valuable. Then you drank when you felt that was more valuable. Maybe the thing to do is to ask yourself, would it be more valuable internally to not do that on any of it and just start your life over? Yeah. If You know, there are so many people I can remember within that first six months or so, three to six months that I was going to AA and I was abstinent. Um I can remember asking my sponsor, so if I feel like drinking, I'm supposed to call you, right? She's like, oh, yes, yes. I go, what will that do? I, I, like, I, I wasn't trying to be defiant or difficult. I just didn't understand. I'm like, are you going to come to my house and hold me captive so I don't drink? Um, she goes, well, we can just talk through it. And I'm thinking, but if I really wanted to drink, If I really wanted to drink, I would do that. I wouldn't call you. So by the act of calling you, I don't really want to drink. I might just be going through a hard time. Right. But that's a great example of a misattribution. So you make the call and you give the credit to this process of calling a sponsor as if there's some magic in that external process, as if there's some shield from yourself that that produced. The irony of that whole thing is you're producing the ritual well, and here's of the, calling the sponsor. And here's the problem with that. We, what we call this, you know what we call this? We call this a charade. Mark yeah. keeps kicking that, and yeah. so it's shaking it. Yeah, so sorry. I apologize. Sorry. <laughs> it's if you're watching. I, I move around a lot. <laughs> On YouTube. He's, he's got ants in his pants. <laughs> okay. So, so what happens is we call this a charade. So then when you start to believe in the charade, you believe – Oh, I'm having a hard time. I feel like drinking. I'm going to call my sponsor. Well, the sponsor doesn't answer. The sponsor has her own life. She's doing her own thing. And then the sponsor has failed you because now I'm drunk. And it was because you didn't answer the phone. Right? I mean, really? Like, that's 
a serious problem when you set it up that all of these external things are supposed to keep you from drinking. They don't. And then it gets even worse and more complicated when you when you start that you're doing the charade and then they say, well, you're not spiritual enough. You're not pure enough. Your character defects are there. You're not honest mm. enough. So now they're blaming you internally, even that there's internal flaws that are keeping you sick. And that, that, that is, that is where we get into the realm of really damaging cult rhetoric. Yeah. Um, and that destroys lives and kills people that literally that's where suicide becomes plausible and things like that. So then we're taking the ritual and we're internalizing it into yes. a, you need to have this spiritual experience, this conversion. And you're going, okay, what, what do I do? Well, you go to meetings, you do all these steps, you admit your faults, you make amends, even when people don't want to hear about it. You, you do all this stuff, yeah. part of the charade. And, and these are the people that get chewed up by AA and spit out, and their lives are absolutely decimated. Um, I went through it. I was lucky to survive through all of it. Me too. And then I converted myself into an angry sort of guru, a driven guru, and said, I'm going to figure this thing out. And then in that process, I realized it was all a sham and that I was full of shit and it was time to, to do something different. And that's where the freedom model came from. That's how we crawled out of the cult, all of us. Yeah. You know? I mean, it, the, the other part of the charade is then you have these, these some of them well-meaning sober people, right? AA sponsors. And, and now they're telling you what relationships you can stay in. They're telling you what job you should get, what job you should have. I was told I needed to become a counselor if I was going to stay sober because that I just needed to make it all of my life. I rejected that. I was like, no, I'm not doing that. Um, they, they tell you, uh, you know, you shouldn't go back to college right now because that's too stressful for you. Don't, don't get on with your life. You need to stay so you 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 slow your life down. You don't go to do the things you want to do, and there's all this fear. So now, if somebody's listening to this and you are, you know, AA in your mind saved your life. Well, if you're sponsoring people, open your eyes. Open your eyes to to the vast majority who come and go from the meetings, who struggle, who now have mental health issues and diagnosis, who are literally drowning trying to figure out how you got it. Yeah, it's it's so detrimental. That's so it's such a great point. Um we're all individuals and some people frankly are too smart to fall for it, but they get bludgeoned for their intelligence and critical I, thinking. Yeah, I was I was somebody that questioned everything and then slowly the rehab industry that I was mandated into and AA and my family and all the powers that be said, Mark, you're wrong. You need to be humble. You yeah. need to put your life in check. And I did. And it was really a sad time in my life. I look at, it took me 12 years, 12 long years where I made AA uh, a huge NNA, a huge part of my life. And I gave those years away, but luckily in my case, I, I parlayed that something. Yeah. I build, I, I used it to build the freedom model to say, to build the antithesis, what I learned, I wrote down basically yeah. with Michelle and, and a whole team of other people that were going through that same process. But, but most people just get out and live your life yeah. and know that the realm of your mind is where everything operative happens. That's the thing that's making you, you. 
and there's nothing else. There's just decisions to be made. And, and we go through that in the book. So read the freedom model and, and understand how to make a direct preference change. Look that up. Yeah. So I guess the, the moral of this whole episode is if you're among that 5% and staying abstinent is easy for you when you're an AA and you're giving credit to AA for that, okay, okay. But it's important for you to understand um, that AA didn't do it. You did it. You genuinely believe you're happier abstinent. Now, if you find the freedom model and you've been happy abstinent for a long time and now you're like, I can, I can moderately drink, be cautious. Be cautious because for 20 years I was abstinent and there was still a part of me that believed in the magic of alcohol, even when I went back and ran that moderation experiment. Now I didn't struggle because I knew I was never out of control. But if you still have, no matter how long you've been abstinent, if you still have the AA powerlessness, this alcoholic addict identity within you, the loss of control, the loss myth. of control myth. If you still believe that, that, you know, you're missing out on all the wonderful things that can happen when you're drunk. If you're, if you have any of that intact, read through the entire freedom model yeah, and don't make debunk any, it all. Yeah. Don't make any decisions until you get all the information so that you can make an adequate analysis about where you stand and what you actually want. Yeah. Because if you built a really happy life, abstinent, which I did and he did. I did. You know, for sure. we Super did. Super successful. Um, you know, awesome. there's, uh, once I, I ran the moderation experiment, it was very quickly when I realized that alcohol had no magic. And it, no, it didn't have the the power to, you know, relax me. Yes. For those of you out there that are questioning it, I enjoy a buzz every once in a while. And I'm relaxed most of the time when I enjoy that. Okay but I know it doesn't pharmacologically relax me because there have certainly been times when I've had a nice buzz going and we've had a fun night going and my husband said something and pissed me right off. Uh, that's not relaxing. I'm not relaxed. And if it could pharmacologically relax me, I wouldn't get that way. Right. You wouldn't care. I wouldn't care. Right. So, so that was just a little caveat and for, for, for specific listeners who may know who they are. So, um, but but we want you to really be cautious because we also have seen people in our group who bounce back and forth. They, they find they re AA has not worked for them. They don't like it, but they really continue to struggle. Um, and there's not much worse than bouncing back and forth and running the moderation experiment, having it go horribly wrong. Um, and then you go back to AA with your tail between your legs and you have to eat some crow and people are not very nice most of the time. Um, and you remember why you left and then you feel like you have no home. You have a home here. Okay. Everybody stops drinking, stops their addictions, the exact, by doing the exact same thing. And that is making a decision, whether they do it through the freedom model, they do it while they're in AA, they do it wherever they do it. They, it's an internal it's, it's within you. That's it's right. Total internal process. And of there's no other out. way that it's done. No, nope. there's no other way. So Some, all yeah. the other stuff, all the other rituals, all the other meetings, all the other stuff is meaningless. It all comes down to you deciding, yeah, this is this, what I want. How can I be happier? What do I want now for some people? 
boy, that, that process of figuring out can take a long time. And it, it, it but, but it's, but remember, if you want to hold on to a lot of times, the people that really struggle the most are the people that want to hold on to that magic that really still believe um, that alcohol holds something special for them that they yeah. can't get any place else or drugs, or drugs. Um, that they can't get any place else. And, um, and, you know, if you're at that point where you're like, I really should stop, but I, with her, I just, I keep doing it. Well, it's because you want to keep doing it. So don't, don't blow smoke up your own butt. Okay. You know, you, there's this party that wants to keep doing it and you got to figure that out. That's right. Okay. So I think that's it. Remember, I think there's, um, there's commercials at the beginning at the end of this for some of our products. Um, but remember we have a bunch of on online services. You can access them all at the freedom model international membership. Um, we also have a toll free number that you can call. It's open. Um, all through the weekend. It's from 8.30 a.m. to 9.30 p.m. Monday through Thursday. But after hours, leave a message. Yeah, we'll if get you, back if, to you. yeah it's 24-7. So you can always leave mm -hmm. a message. Um, and uh, and on the weekends, it's open from, from 9 a.m. to 6 p.m. Eastern time. That's Eastern time. We're in New York State. So, um, so yeah, we you know, you guys, you can do this. You know, there's no magic to it. It's right. figuring it out. It's okay? learning the information. So if you need to learn the information, call the number and we'll get you the service you need to learn it. Yep. And for those listening, the number is 888-424-2626. Our websites are thefreedommodel.org. That has all of our services. Mm -hmm. Um soberforever.net is all about our retreat. That's you can check so that out. That's soberforever.net. And online.thefreedommodel.org is our uh, online programs. All right, so, everybody. All right. Thanks, everyone, for take, listening and watching. All right. Take care. Make sure to share and like. Yes, like and share and subscribe. All right. Hey, everyone. Michelle here. I'm so excited to let you know about Freedom Model International Membership. Get support as you deprogram from the 12 steps and the shackles of addiction recovery. For a low monthly membership fee, you get the Freedom Model online program, which includes our books, our audiobooks, workbooks, and all the additional lessons. You also get the Freedom Model for the Family online program as well. You will get a live members-only two-hour question and answer webinar with Mark and myself the last Wednesday of every month. And each week, we're going to add a new video lesson. We call this the What We Learned This Week series. Lastly, we also have the Freedom Model International Monthly Newsletter, where we're going to tackle the current events and the latest research for you. All this for just $39.95 per month. You can stay a member for as long as you need, and you can suspend or cancel your subscription whenever you're ready. Go to online.thefreedommodel.org to sign up today.